Thank you for having me as your 2020 preacher and lecturer. Let us listen again for God's word to us. A reading from the Gospel, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said, Again it is written, do not put you, the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world with their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. You may be seated. Yesterday, in our drive from the airport to the, to the hotel, Pastor Wiggs quoted a Bible verse to me. Only one, but this was the verse. Guess what it was? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, he said. Recognize that? It just so happened that that's the first verse of our text for today. I was impressed. I thought maybe he studied up on it to evaluate my sermon. <laughs> but he quoted it not because it was a lectionary reading for today, but because he had taken a wonderful photo when he was on the church trip to the Holy Land of the cave dwellings high up near Jericho, near to the place where Jesus was baptized. It was just after his baptism, Matthew tells us, that Jesus was led up to the, this place by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. What was that, you might be thinking, if you're anything like me? Did you say to be tempted by the devil? What kind of tricky business is that Holy Spirit in, anyway? And how exactly is Pastor Wiggs connected to it? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that every time we pray the way Jesus taught us, we ask God not to lead us into temptation? Why in the world would we ask God not to lead us into temptation? Is it possible God would lead us into temptation? Doesn't seem like the kind of thing God would do, does it? If we're asking ourselves that question right now, as I am, we're not the first to worry about what that line means. Apparently, Pope Francis was concerned last summer about the line, lead us not into temptation. He suggested that to lead us into temptation would be inconsistent with the character of God, so he hired a bunch of scholars to check on the translation. They came up with a new approach. What they 
said now, and this is apparently the official Vatican phrasing for the new Lord's Prayer, new and improved, instead of asking God to lead us not into temptation, we should ask God, quote, to abandon us not when we are in temptation. Yeah, that solves a lot of problems, right? We get to temptation ourselves and God delivers us from it. And then we find, as Psalm 32 reads that we looked at a few minutes ago, canted a few minutes ago, we find that God is our hiding place, surrounding us with glad cries of deliverance. Now, I bet you like the Pope the way I do. I like his resistance to brocaded robes. Remember that? I like that he serves communion to people who are divorced. But I don't like much like this change he's made to the Lord's Prayer. I don't like it because it doesn't seem to take into account the stories in the biblical witness where people of faith are led into temptation. Consider Abraham in Genesis 22, tempted by God on Mount Moriah. And then there's Job, who for 42 chapters holds God to account, even as he's tempted by God's own emissary, Satan himself. There's Paul, who seems tempted to despair by that thorn in his flesh. And then there's the story about Jesus. It's hard to compute that this spirit who leads Jesus into 40 days and 40 nights of temptation is the same spirit whom John calls the Comforter, the one who makes Jesus present to us until he comes again, the one who intercedes with groans and murmurings too deep for words when we don't know how to pray. Perhaps in some of the texts I've mentioned, the spirit simply lost track of her job description. Or maybe the spirit had a bad day. One of the things we talked about in the workshop on the Trinity yesterday is that we can't say that the triune God engages us in all kinds of creative ways and then ignore or retranslate the ways God works in our lives that we don't like. So let's come at this from another angle, shall we? Maybe this temptation story shows us not that the spirit lost track of her job description, but that her job description is more expansive than we had first thought. Maybe the Holy Spirit's job is not only to comfort us, but also to challenge us, to melt us, to mold us. Still, we have to figure out exactly what the challenge is exactly. And how can we know anyway when it's the spirit who's led into temptation and when we got into the tempting mess all by ourselves? I remember as a kid hearing my pastor dad respond to an elder from the congregation who had a habit of not making it to session meetings, that he would make the Tuesday night session meeting if God is willing and the creek don't rise. <laughs> my dad responded to him by saying, Mr. Anderson, I know for a fact that God is willing. If you don't make it to that meeting, I'm not going to blame God, I'm going to blame you. I certainly don't believe every temptation we have comes from God. But then there are wilderness times that we can't account for, we can't explain away on the basis of our bad decisions. Seems to me that the holy stories in scripture about the spirit leading us into temptation and the prayer we pray that asks God to spare us, at the very least to deliver us from the evil, have something important to tell us about what it means to join in the dance with the triune God 
and with one another. What they tell us, I think, is this, that when God leads us into temptation, the specific purpose of this temptation is to remind us of our creatureliness so we can be free to live as the glorious, finite, and beautiful creatures that we are. I had some chance to think uh, I had some chances to think about um, cool things related to this idea of our creatureliness when I taught a new class last semester. I taught a class, um, it was a bit of a stretch, but on theology and poetry. Some of the poems we read testify to the experience of finding God in what theologians like to call the dark night of the soul. How does the spirit shape us by way of our experience of the wilderness? Or how about when we feel covered by darkness? Or when we're stuck in a place marked neither by belief or by unbelief, a place where we are capable neither of proclaiming God's goodness nevertheless, nor even of cursing God and dying. A place where the poet Christian Wyman says, we have no sense of equanimity. What do we learn about relationship to God when we have the stamina for none of the above? spiritual responses. Perhaps you would want to cheer me up at this point by suggesting I read on in Matthew's story. Man, Jesus really takes that devil out, doesn't he? That was really something to see. How bold he was, how fully divine, quoting scripture with pure confidence and not for one second succumbing to the devil's wiles. Would I be that bold if I were driven by the spirit into the wilderness? I think probably not. Well, possibly in certain moments of my life, but definitely not recently. When I'm feeling like there's no other way, no way I can triumph over the principalities and powers in the way Jesus demonstrates in Matthew, I like to turn over to Mark's version of the story. What I like about the Gospel of Mark is that we don't have any superhero-sounding stories about Jesus outwitting, outquoting, or outbelieving Satan. All we're told in Mark is that he's with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. With the wild beasts, like Adam and Eve in the new creation. Waited on by angels like Elijah running from Queen Jezebel in 2 Kings 19. Angels mark God's ubiquitous, particular presence, I think. As Psalm 32 tells us, many are the torments of the wicked but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Because Jesus struggled with temptation, I figure, he therefore understands my struggle. He understands me. Like he did later in Gethsemane at the end of his life, I imagine Jesus sweating drops of blood, wondering why the Spirit has driven him out there, feeling all alone and hesitant about what lies ahead, but willing to submit to the hand of God. After the 40 days, Jesus comes on out of the wilderness and begins his ministry. He survived the temptation. He's been delivered from evil to proclaim the good news that God's kingdom has indeed come. The temptation when we are driven into the wilderness is to try to overwhelm our circumstances, to turn stones into bread, to outwit the principalities and powers like Katniss in the Hunger Games or a contestant on Survivor. Keep your angels to yourself, thank you. I can do fine on my own. What this holy story about Jesus teaches us, I think, is that when the Spirit 
leads us into temptation. It's for a very specific purpose. It is so that we might come to terms with who we are before God. Baptized, we are claimed as God's children, and then the fun really begins. The Spirit's job is to help us know this identity, to know ourselves as creatures, even as Jesus knew himself, to realize we're not capable of overriding our mortalities and our ineptitudes, our diseases and our deaths. We are, of course, tempted to try. The Spirit herself tempts us, but always with a cadre of angels accompanying her to take care of us along the way. To resist the temptation to ward off our creatureliness is, sub is to submit to being who we really are as creatures, finite, beautiful, beloved creatures who are strengthened by angels and called to new ministries as the frail but powerful beloved of God. Wait a minute, did I just say angels? <laughs> Do Methodists and Presbyterians talk about angels? Maybe I did, it was an angel who delivered Abraham stopping his hand as he raised it to kill Isaac. There was angels in the cave who came and nurtured Jesus in the wilderness so he could endure and be strengthened and not just survive in the wilderness, but come out ready to roll. The angels remind us of the preservation of God who serves as a hiding place, not allowing the mighty waters to reach us in times of distress. My wonderful dad died in September and the reality that he is gone is really just now starting to sink in. It was fairly sudden and rough. I'm still trying to figure out how we let things get to the point where he was just covered with infusions and tubes and pumps before we realized he wasn't there anymore. He was no longer with us. I thought all the beeping would drive me out of my mind. Once we removed the intubation, he died in just a few minutes. I remember one of my mentors once telling me that when your parents die, there's no longer any buffer between you and your own mortality. You realize that you're up next. <laughs> I think he meant. And at the time of my father's death, I was already feeling pretty mortal because in the weeks just before, I'd been through a lot of medical testing trying to figure out some pain and weakness I've had for a couple of years on my right side. I have since found a stellar doctor and I'm in good shape and receiving great care. But for several weeks just before my dad died, we were living with an incorrect diagnosis that would have meant a short remaining lifespan for me and terrible suffering for myself and my family. So when I looked at the lectionary, I just had to preach on the Matthew text. Because in this chapter of my life, I've never been more aware of my mortality and also never felt as tempted to try to override it, to beg God to remove the thorn, to pray for the courage to shut down the devil's insidious whisperings, to try to turn stones into bread. Instead, I find myself asking God to deliver me from such evil, to use this time in the wilderness to help me settle into being precisely who I am as God's created beloved creature, to know what Paul meant when he realized that power is made perfect in weakness, to trust that God's angels will care for me and for those I love. The Spirit leads us into temptation so we can know ourselves in relation to the God who made us and continues to make us. And our holy stories teach us that as we truly come to know who we are, the chains fall off 
and we are delivered from the burdensome evil of trying to be more than what God created us to be, which would actually be less than God made us anyway. Praise God, the psalmist says, for we are fearfully and wonderfully made precisely as the mortal beings we are. It is as we come truly to know this, I believe and hope that we can enjoy the angels' constant ministrations toward us, through which God will prepare us for our new creation, our new ministry, and the sharing of the good news with the world. Holy Spirit, holy stories, thanks be to the triune God, our hiding place, and our deliverer. Amen.